Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy is going to answer common questions that you ask us. Enjoy the message. I'm going to address uh, different questions that have been brought up specifically uh, in Empires Volume 4. Uh, we spent three weeks on debatable issues. And then we put our ears to the rail, we put our ears out there, and we began to hear questions come out of our city groups. So these questions came out of city groups, came out of questions uh, in the hallway or emails. We might not get, be able to get to all of them, but this You Ask For It series is a recurring series. Uh, we, will, we will get to all these questions at some point if we don't get to them today, or I will in, insert them into sermons. We will deal with them. And again, if there's questions that we didn't get to today, let us know, because these are content that we would love to answer uh, in the weeks and months to come. You know, questions. Uh, we, we can approach questions in, in a couple of ways. We can approach, I'm going to get rid of my keys here, all right? All right I'm going to put these over here. We're just informal today, all right? There we go, all right? So, uh, but... Uh, uh, we, can, we can approach questions in two different ways. We can ask questions because we really want to know an answer, right? Those are real questions. And then we have what I would call a loaded question, right? A, a question where we already have the answer, but we want to got, gotcha somebody, right? Or we we kind of want to lead people into a discussion of what the answer we want to give. And so this morning, when we approach questions that we have about the Bible, or we have about life, or we have about anything, we can approach it in that way. We can say, okay, what is the biblical answer? What does God say about this? Or we could say, all right, I want to hear what God has to say about it, but I already have the answer, and I'm not budging. And, and what I really want to encourage us this morning, and when it comes to any part of our life when we have questions for the Lord, is to approach it by saying, God, what is the answer? You know, my six-year-old, uh, he has questions. He's in question mode right now. Uh, he can spend hours asking questions. He's like, what about this? What about this? What about this? Here's, here's just a snapshot in the last couple of days. He wanted to know how Jesus gets the offering, all right? How's, how's the offering get right up to heaven, and why does heaven need money? And I said, okay, well, well no, we're, we're doing the work of the Lord, and it, and it costs money in the, on this earth anyway. But then he asked, okay, well, when we go to heaven, and our heavenly bodies, will we have adult teeth? I'm like, why are you thinking about this, all right? And then my daughter pipes up. She goes, okay, when Jesus comes back, well, I get to say goodbye to my cat, Bristol, all right? So they're thinking through these things. They really want to know the answers, right? <laughs> they really want to know the answers. But the thing is this. Sometimes they ask us questions knowing what the answer is going to be. Can I have more video game time? What do you think the answer is going to be, right? But they want to make sure that maybe, just maybe, they want more video game time, so they're going to ask for it and they're going to beg for it. Here's the deal. We don't want to beg God for an answer he's not going to give us. We want to ask God in all humility and in openness of heart, God, what do you want for us right now? What does your word say? What, what is wise? What is the appropriate action? And, and we can trust the word of God uh, because the word of God is God's words. Again, the Bible as we have it, whether it's your app or your physical Bible, that is not God, right? You don't, you don't bow down to the, to the Bible, no, but rather the Bible is the words of God, and to disobey the words of God is to disobey God himself. Does that make sense? And so 2 Timothy 3.16 states this, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God is profitable. If you want to be complete and equipped, you must be a student of this book. And unfortunately, and as I've said week and after week after week, I've even got on my knees on one week. I said, please get in this book. And I want to tell you, as I've been in ministry and I spent nine years in youth ministry, today there are people shipwrecked because they have not heeded that advice. They have not heeded that command to be in God's word. 
If you're not going to be in God's word, you're going to be shipwrecked. You can even know God's word and be shipwrecked because it's not good enough just to know it and read it. You've got to obey it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of these, uh, these commands or teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called the great in the kingdom of heaven. There's so many people that want to minimize or, or reinterpret or, or say different things that the Bible doesn't say. And there are many people who don't know the word, but yet they are okay by living by their own authority. We are okay by living by our own authority. Do you know that? You don't have to tell yourself that, right? We, we always want to be in charge. You can't be the boss of me. I'm going to do what I want to do, right? That's called living by your own authority. We're living in a culture where they celebrate living by your authority. and Nobody better ever tell you what to do, including the word of God. There are many who know the word of God and they're still not walking under that authority. May it never be for you that you ever leave the word of God behind. So as we have questions, we need to say, okay, God, what is your revelation in this? And when we see God's revelation as revealed from his word, as we become obedient to it, as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out obedience in everyday life, there should be a difference. I think one of the biggest tragedies in the church is that we can sit in the church for days and weeks and years and we can get more knowledgeable about the word of God. We can, we can know the right doctrines about the word of God and yet our life doesn't look any different. There must be transformation. In fact, the main idea is this. What difference does the world see in you? What difference does the world see in you? As you have questions, what difference does the world see in you? Now, before we get into the questions today, I want to say a question that is given almost every time. Uh, we've, we've given messages on this. In fact, a whole backlog of messages are yours to listen to uh, on Kenosha.Church uh, or our app. And if you go on to Spotify, there's a bonus message um, that deals with questions uh, every uh, midweek. Uh, some weeks there's, there's off weeks, but you, you get the point. All right? But we want to equip you with questions that you may have all year long. But one of the questions that we often hear is, and I hear this in, in counseling, I hear this in, in just in the hallway, I hear this on phone calls, is, Andy, why did fill in the blank happen? Why, why did God, and again, this isn't even a question that we have on the screen, it's a bonus because this is one that we get all the time. Why does God let bad things happen? I wanna share with you, this question's really personal to me this, this Sunday. So I just came back from Iowa yesterday and I had really bad news about my mom and we're gonna find out this week how bad it is but she needs prayer and she needs a miracle. And the whole time I'm driving back from Iowa, I'm asking God, why? 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 And the verse that always comes to my mind and verses that I encourage others, whether it be at a funeral or in the hospital bed, is Romans 8.18. For I consider the sufferings of this time, of this day, nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus. We know that things happen. We have questions in life. Why do bad things happen or why do confusing things happen? The reason is this. Sometimes we don't know. But what we can know is this, is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world of sin. We live in a world that is not heaven as we wait for heaven. And until then, we are to be the hands and feet of God. We are to live a life that reflects the goodness of God. And that gives us hope through every bad thing. 
And when things don't go the way that we want, when prayers aren't answered the way that we don't understand, we can know, quote, and, and, and hold and claim Romans 8.18, for I know that the sufferings of this present time are nothing compared to the glory that you'll have in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? So that's usually a base question that we get all the time, and I thought I'd just share with you, because number one, uh, it's very personal to me, just fresh within hours, please pray for my mom. She needs a miracle. Let's get to the questions that were prepared, though, for this week. And so, again, that's always the big one that comes up, so I thought I'd address it personally. But let's go to question number one. This comes from a city group. Uh, is it really a big deal to cuss? <laughs> so these will be all over the place. All right. Uh, maybe you're laughing because there's some cussers in the house. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> uh, so whatever question that we have, especially can I questions, the basis of these questions must be, God, what is going to give you maximum glory? What is going to give you the maximum honor? Jesus speaks of the words that come out of our mouth. We see this in Luke chapter 6, verse 44. Luke chapter 6, verse 44. He says this, For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from the thorn bushes, or grapes are picked from, uh, from the bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil per, a person produces evil out of the evil stored up from his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So Jesus is saying this. He's like, what comes out of your mouth is like, oh, where'd that come from? Or, oops, sorry about my French. Okay, right? Where'd that come from? It came from your heart. The overflow of your heart, these are things that your heart have been storing for a while. And so the big idea of is a really big deal to cuss is our words reveal our heart. Our words reveal our heart. Our speech as Christians should be pure. And, and by the way, that's not just a Christian idea. There are, are certain words in society that are not allowed even on, on certain hours of TV or newscasts or your teachers or you know, elementary school teachers at least anyway. Uh, kids shows, pastors, you name it. And there are certain words that if your five-year-old, uh, uh, just say you have kids, your five-year-old kid or grandkid, if they were to say some four-letter words, you, you would be appalled. You'd, be, uh, you'd say, well, where did you hear that from? As Christians, our words reflect what we believe and what's going on currently in our hearts. Now, I often hear people say, well, I, I, I say, you know, only certain words around friends that it just doesn't matter to them or around people where it's not as offensive. You've heard this, right? I think it's closely revealed to what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas, right? You know, I just around certain friends and, you know, then I let the four-letter words go. But, you know, I don't let it go and I'm, you know, at church. Right? Congratulations. But here's our standard. We've lowered our standards so badly. Our standard is this. Does God like it? Does God like it? I mean, this is a standard for anything that we do. Does, this, does God like it? Remember, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere, right? He's everywhere. He can see you. Right? You feel like someone's watching you, right? Yes, he, the Lord, God Almighty. Yet I've even heard pastors tell me this in private. You know, they're just certain words that just don't express the emotion unless you say, bah! And he's right. You hear somebody, especially they don't cuss very often, they cuss, they're like, whoa, they're really mad. But that, listen, it's not about who you're around or the circumstances you find yourself in or if you want to make a pop. It's about what does God like? It's not about you. It's not about something else. Your words matter, and our words should always make the most of Almighty God. Wayne Grudem in his book, uh, Christian Ethics, is a great, uh, gives a great section on this. He gives three broad categories 
of which the Bible and society would consider cussing. Uh, they are, the three categories are this, taking the Lord's name in vain, cursing, and cussing. All right? Let's talk about those three categories. Let's talk about taking God's name in vain. Taking God's name in vain. This is prohibited in the Ten Commandments. Right? It is the third command of the Ten Commandments. It states this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. And some of you are like, woo right? <laughs> Any use of God's name that's irreverent, flippant, or dishonorable is taking the Lord's name in vain. To take, uh, to, that word vain in the Hebrew means to lift up to nothingness, which literally, you could translate it this way, don't lift up the name of God to worthlessness. Saying, oh my God, Saying Jesus as an expletive should never be spoken by a Christian or non-Christians, really. It is a direct sin against the glory of God. Now, someone may say, well, it's no big deal. I mean, come on, it's, it's one of the least of these. Uh, you, you might think that. The groupings that you might be with might think that. I've heard pastors say, oh my God, as, a, as an expletive a number of times. And I'm like, you know who doesn't like that? He made it one of his ten the Lord, the Lord doesn't like that. He doesn't want his name being lifted up to nothingness. You see, in the Bible, the name refers to the entire reputation of somebody. It's why when Judas betrayed Jesus, many of the people named Judas at the time went by Jude. So not to use God's name flippantly or as an expletive or an explanation, but we can also take God's name in vain when we tell jokes about him. I mean, there's no shortage of, of movies or shows or even cartoons, come on, family guy, right? That regularly make fun of Jesus. And this should be avoided. That doesn't mean that comedy is wrong. It doesn't mean uh, that, that Christian comedians are banned, not at all. It doesn't mean that we can't be joking and lighthearted and it doesn't mean that we can be lighthearted about things of life. But when it comes to the name of God, off limits. Listen, comedy and joking, we, if it's about ourselves, we could take ourselves a lot less serious, right? It, it, that's, that's why it's, it's okay as long as it's not derogatory or it's cutting somebody down at somebody else's expense. Comedy is fine if it's, you know, making fun of the weather, right? But if you're making fun of God, off limits. Another way that we can use God's name in vain is if we speak falsehood in God's name, saying that God approves certain things that the Bible otherwise would say uh, is evil. Hypocrisy could be taking God's name in vain, whether it's just your, your faith is just outward, but inside it's completely different. Having a Messiah complex could be taking God's name in vain, where you feel like you're the Savior, that you have the corner market on the things of the Word of God, that only you can, can rescue people. That's taking God's name in vain. False prophecy, when people have a prophetic word in the name of the Lord, but it's not of God, it's of the flesh or of the enemy, that is taking God's name in vain. And that's why whenever I hear someone say, thus saith the Lord, it's like, uh, you, you better be careful there, right? I, I think it's way more important, like when you believe that God is leading you into something, that's saying, hey, I believe God is leading, or God is uh, just kind of, you know, leading me this direction, or, or maybe God is saying, you always leave an out, because listen, if you say something in the name of God and it's wrong, it's not, who God, it's not God who's wrong, it's you. And when you do that, you're taking God's name in vain. So always have humility when you feel like God is doing something 
Don't take the Lord's name in vain. What about the replacement words? Oh my gosh. Good golly, right? I don't want to be legalistic here. Uh, by the way, saying you shouldn't say, oh my God, is an expletive is, is not legalism. It's command. Legalism is like where we kind of go into gray areas again. So what about, oh my gosh, good golly. Some of you are like, uh, kids, don't, don't say that. Like, okay, that, you, you, you sort that out. I think there is some virtue in replacement words because you don't want to say the real word. Okay, there is some virtue in that, right? And so you need to sort out and have conviction. Okay, when, when I am surprised by something, what should come out of my mouth? And so uh, some of you have replacement words. Oh my gosh, good golly. Oh, oh goodness, what, what, whatever, you know. So don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's number one. The second uh, uh, sort of words that come out of our mouth that shouldn't is cursing. James talks about this in James chapter three, verse eight. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless evil full of deadly poison. With a tongue we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine producing figs? Neither can salt water spring yield fresh water. Cursing words are words that condemn people to judgment. Cursing is the desire with our own words and even internal thoughts and words that we want to see people literally go into judgment into hell or meet God's wrath instead of repenting and getting right with God. You see, when people are far from God or, or people are, are opposing you or, or, or people are, are, are outright an enemy to the cross of, of Christ, our first prayer should be that they repent and get right with God. Not that they go to hell, right? Uh, not that they meet their eternal judgment. Not at all. That is God's job. Our job is to give the gospel forever and ever and ever on repeat until Jesus Christ comes back, amen? Cursing. It's you being the judge and not God. You know, Christians, we fight over pretty petty things sometimes, don't we? Christians are, are willing proverbially to, uh, to blow up the place with a, uh, blow up the mission with a suicide vest of words to get their way. For instance, years ago, years ago, this person's now and uh, has now departed, someone got so angry at me uh, for, for making a small decision in the church. I wasn't even the main guy. And they met me in the hallway and they said, I will call down fire from hell on you. I said, oh? And he says, and if that doesn't work, I'll take you to the parking lot and bloody you. I wish I could say over the course of 20 years, that's the only time Christians have threatened violence against me or my family. Not so. I'm running out of hands. But the thing is this. Cursing is something we have a big problem with, not only in secular society, but also as Christians. Why? Why as Christians? You see, secular society, they use hell as a byword. I'll get to that in a moment. But as Christians, we can become so self-righteous, we begin to think we can be the judge, and we can pronounce judgment, uh, eternal judgment, and forsake people when that's never our job. Amen? And we can begin to say all sorts of crazy things. 
Anger comes out and it curses others. It's why Jesus said, if you hate your brother and sister in your heart, it is as good as murder. Cursing is an attempted eternal murder of someone we are mad at for whatever it is. It can be an emotion, but in culture, the phrase that expresses this desire to cast someone in hell should never be uttered by a Christian. And this is what it is. It is literally using the D word. You know what word I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the Hoover Dam. I'm talking about a different one, right? Okay. Um, and then I'm talking, and then also when someone says, go to, and you know where I'm talking about, right? Uh, sometimes people will use hell as a byword or as an explanation. And I think that these words are unfortunate uh, because what ends up happening is some Christians cuss the word of hell more than warn others about it. These are serious places and they should never become a byword and ever come out of the mouth of a Christian. Which leaves us to cussing. This is the general cussing. And we'll move on to the next question after this. Ephesians 4.29 says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Cussing. Uh, these are words that society generally uh, finds offensive. Uh, these are words that are bleeped out on TV. Again, these are words that you would not want your five-year-old to say. These are words that are NS, uh, NSFW, not safe for work, right? Even though people are, uh, people are like, bad words don't matter. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you can get fired by your boss if you watch that YouTube video laden with, with a bunch of four-letter words, right? But again, it's not about what the people around you think or your circumstances, do these words give honor to God? Does he like it? And today we're living in the wild west of language. Words that were typically bleeped during the day, now through social media and TikTok, you can probably hear hundreds and hundreds of four-letter words and it's not even lunchtime. It is true that scripture does not have a list of bad modern English words, but we do have the principle and standard set before us. Again, Ephesians 4.29. No foul language should come from your mouth or your translations may say let no unwholesome words come from your mouth it is unwholesome it reminds me of milk you buy wholesome pasteurized milk right have you ever grabbed a carton of milk or you poured milk in a glass and you didn't look at it and you took a big old swig and you're like why is this cottage cheese right <laughs> and you're not like oh well whatever i guess it's a new variety but no you're like you spit it out you're like gross Ugh! That is so disgusting. Who didn't throw the milk out, right? That's exactly what our words are that are not wholesome. They come out of our mouth. They come from a, a, a bitter, or they come from a dark place in our heart. And the people that hear it, they're like, whoa, right? They don't have worth. It shouldn't come from our mouth. Only the words that build God up and give grace towards others. So what is obscene in our culture today? They usually have to do with three categories. And no, I'm not going to say words. I don't think we should. I, I, when people are like, hey, could you tell me what this person said? I don't repeat it because I don't want it getting my vernacular, right? And heaven forbid, you know, when I've spent a lot of times in hospitals this last month. And when you're around hospital rooms, uh, you hear a lot of four-letter words from patients that they've lost their filter. I'm like, heaven forbid, when I lose my filter, I want to be clean, all right? So... But three words or three categories of words that are usually obscene in culture usually have to do with bathroom function, sexual activity, or making fun of people groups. Bathroom functions, for instance. Uh, you may have the polite, right? You may have the polite, and then you may have uh, what's called the, the common, right? If you're taking your dog out, it's like, go clean up the dog poop, right? That is, that is, 
that, that, that would be the common language. But what ends up happening is people begin to take it to the cussing standard, the standard that is bleeped on television. And then what people typically do is they then drop it into everyday language, right? They'll even put words, sacred words, and, and put these sacred words in front of bathroom functions, you know, what we say God is holy, society says something else is holy. And so bathroom functions, and you have sexual activity. Again, this is a word that is usually the granddaddy of them all that would never be uttered by anybody. Now it's everywhere. It's a four-letter word. I'm not even gonna say the first letter of the word, but you know what word I'm talking about. People use this word as an adjective, verb, and a noun. And it's, it's, it's describing an action uh, that, is, that, that we see, that one flesh unity of a man and woman in marriage, it makes it into just something flippant. It, it, again, an adjective, a noun, a verb, it just makes it absolutely flippant. And aren't we seeing sexual activity in culture today just be made flippant and do whatever you want with it, right? And it's being reflected in our language. We're like, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter because it comes from the heart. That's what Jesus said. And then making fun of people groups whether it's ethnicity, whether it's groups of people you don't like, uh, whether it's even, uh, even thought processes and ideologies that we, even the Bible would speak against, that doesn't mean that we name call. That doesn't mean we say certain slurs against people that we don't like. That is unbecoming of a Christian. So using these words make you more like the world than people seeing a difference of Christ in you. Uh, often it has been noted, study after study shows that when society deteriorates in morality into more sinful activity, Worse language follows. So the bottom line is this. What will your words tell others about you? This is what I hope your words tell you. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is what I hope people see in your words. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. I hope that your language that comes out of your mouth is praiseworthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not telling you that, uh, I'm, not, we could, I'm sure we could have 35 questions from this. I would love to send them, all right? Facebook us. Facebook us some questions or send or connect with us on the app. Uh, this goes with any one of our questions. Uh, but again, uh, our words matter. Our, our words matter. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to be like, okay, oh, I hope this word comes. No, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about taking the Lord's name in vain. We're talking about cursing people. We're talking about the cuss words, all right? And so, and, and talking about name calling on the people, all right? We shouldn't be doing any of that. All right, let's go to our next question. This was brought up, said something off the cuff a couple weeks ago in second service. So here it is. <laughs> what is the new apostolic reformation, the NAR? What is it and how should we respond to this movement? Uh, this question has gained popularity a lot over the last few years, uh, primarily because of a few books that have come out uh, about it, uh, warning the church about it. Also, a very popular podcast by Alicia Childers, excellent podcast, by the way, Alicia Childers. She is somebody who uh, left the faith and then came back and is warning the church about the, uh, the deconstruction, warning, uh, warning the church about uh, many people that have grown up in the church that are drifting away. Uh, really a podcast to listen to. And she spent some uh, really good time on, on the NAR, on the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, I, have, I said a couple weeks ago that there are really two kind of strands of thoughts that are hitting the church that I believe that are really causing some issues. The one is that we've seen it's more left-leaning uh, when it comes to thought, not necessarily uh, politics, although they can go hand-in-hand, hand, uh, is progressive Christianity. 
progressive Christianity uh, is a, a, a ideology that is hitting a number of churches that minimizes scripture to secular ideology and methods and replaces the gospel for often secular Marxist-style social justice. I believe uh, we are seeing this hit a number of churches. Uh, it is, it is gospel-wise awful, okay? Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we are seeing what we would call the NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, which replaces the word of God with new revelation and replaces the gospel of grace often with, with works-based worship and pursuit of revival. Now, hear me out here. Uh, we should be a church that passionately worships Jesus and we should be passionately praying that we see God revive this country and revive this world, amen? But it's never anything that we try to work ourselves to see that happening. It's always by the grace of God when those things happen and we don't wanna miss it. So the, NR, the, the, the New Apostolic Reformation, the NAR, I almost said NRA, the NAR is a, is a loosely organized movement that seeks to be a new reformation by restoring the offices of apostle and prophet in the church. The New Apostolic Reformation was a term that was coined by C. Peter Wagner in 1996. Uh, he's considered to be the father figure of this movement. Um, so what you won't find is a website for the NAR or a church membership because this is, a, this is a thought process, an ideology that hits existing churches. Uh, and so there, this is not top down. This is more decentralized in thought. Their core beliefs are spiritual gifts are for today. We would agree with that. Uh, fivefold offices of the gifted, the ruling of an apostle, and dominion theology. So let's break those down real quick. And again, you're like, man, I don't, okay, whatever. I'll just take your word for it. NAR won't do it. Here's the deal is that people don't have an NAR banner. These are thought processes that hit churches and churches that, uh, that live by NAR ideology will have these core tenets, all right? The first one is this, spiritual gifts. We would agree with this, by the way, spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are used to build up the church. Again, we would agree with this position. Uh, as we're told explicitly in scripture that each one of us is gifted by the Holy Spirit when we are born again. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 12, verse six. Romans chapter 12, verse six. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. So each one of us in the church, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportions of one's faith. If service, use it in service, in teaching and teaching. If exhorting, exhorting. If giving with generosity. Uh, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, we also see a list of spiritual gifts. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God who works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To other, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To other, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And one and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. So gifts are given when they are born again, and they are empowered by the Holy Spirit to build up the church. That's why we need to be seeking to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Each and every believer needs to be seek to be filled by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis because we don't want to operate in this world by our own flesh or by our own talents. God has made us and empowered us to live naturally supernatural lives and in the everyday world. Uh, and so uh, we see here, uh, we have a whole teaching series, by the way, on the Holy Spirit. You can find on our app. So I don't necessarily want to re-go over that and don't have the time to go over all that right now. But we notice here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, 
that the gifts are distributed each person as the Father wills. That's really important. It's not about uh, how awesome you are, how super spiritual you are, that you get a certain gift. God gives and distributes gifts as he chooses. Why? To build up the church so the gospel of Jesus Christ can go out uh, in the mission, uh, can go out as well. These gifts are never meant to be seen as an end goal, but the tools to accomplish the will of God to spread the fame and gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we see in scriptures, we are to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, which means our gifts and experiences with the Holy Spirit must always be grounded in the word, all right? That's really important because today we are living in a culture where we are being led by experience first, all right? That is where people's, my truth or my experience is all being based off of is what they see in the world. That is their truth. Eh. Wrong. It is not about our experience first. It is about the word of God. And sometimes there's a dissonance between what the word of God says and our experience. Am I right? Sometimes you read the word of God and you're like, that's not my experience. Sometimes you read the word of God and, and you see God answering prayers. It's like, why is he answering my prayers? Sometimes you, you read the word of God and, and you, see, uh, you see just different promises that are happening. And you're like, why is there dissonance in my life? Why is there a divide between what I'm experiencing and what God's word has to say? And this is where faith comes in. Uh, this is where continuing in the faith comes in. This is where you realize, okay, God, I know that right now I don't feel that you're real. Or God, I know right now I want to do what you say not, I should not do. But in faith right now, I trust you. In faith right now, I know that you're all powerful, you're omnipotent, I am gonna trust you. And when our feelings come in line with God's truth, oh, it is a moment you don't wanna miss. It is a moment you don't wanna forget. It's in that moment I call the taste of heaven. Sometimes it happens when you're worshiping. Sometimes it's happening when you're reading God's word. Sometimes it's happening when you're talking with somebody who's a believer. Sometimes it's happening and you just, boom, God just gives it to you, right? It's in those moments where your experience comes in line with the word of God and that's beautiful. So emotions aren't a bad thing, but emotions and experience can be an awful thing if you are being led by them and your emotions and feelings at the moment are diametrically opposed to the word of God. Does that make sense? So we must uh, follow the Holy Spirit. Um, we must follow our experiences uh, in spirit and in truth, which it needs to be grounded in the word. The problem occurs when we take this role of, when we take and minimize the role of scripture, when our feelings are perceived as scripture as themselves, I speak across the world, um, and in one instance, this was years and years ago, I was in a church where they didn't preach from the Bible one particular Sunday. They preached from a five-page prophetic word. And I'm like, what? And they began to line by line, putting the words on the screen just like you would, and they're not doing quotations. This is their like word by word saying, this is what God said. My skin began to crawl. I was like, we're not gonna open up the word of God today. We're gonna open up someone's prophecy. Like, I know of a bunch of movements that have started that have gone awry by this very nature here. Luckily, uh, it didn't seem to go awry. They just made a really bad choice that morning. And again, it's also against a direct violation in the word, not to add to God's word, or and we're told in the last passage of Revelation not to take away or add to God's word. So we must be grounded in God's word I heard it said this way, the Holy Spirit will always act in cooperation with the word of God. Part of Luther's reformation was that we are sola scriptura. Uh, when the reformation happened against the Catholic Church, uh, the Catholic Church was holding tradition and scripture on the same level. 
and the, the Reformation, one of the beautiful things that came out of the Reformation of which we are participants of today is that we are sola scriptura, which means we are God's word alone. Nothing comes on par with scripture. Nothing, no church authority, no tradition, no history, uh, no, no, no modern word is on par with the word of God ever. Scripture is sufficient and it's not, it's not lacking and it's not in need of a sequel or a reinterpretation, ever. So when you get a knock on the door and they say, hey, here's the sequel, say you're not interested. Sequels are bad anyway, right? We believe the Holy Spirit gives his church to build up his church, but they are not the main event or even the majority message of which we proclaim. And often NAR churches will flip the script and that would be almost always what they talk about. And often results in two-tier Christianity where you have the haves and have-nots, the spiritual or the super-spiritual. And these terms must be avoided because, listen, it is not about being spiritual if you have certain gifts. I have seen people that have been absolutely gifted by the Holy Spirit and their life's been a train wreck. And they're, they're awful to people. They're, they're, they're very prideful. It's not about the gifts of the Spirit that mark your spirituality. It is actually about the fruit of the Spirit. You want to see the Holy Spirit move in your life? You want to see the gifts be effective and functional? Make sure the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is active in your life. So spiritual gifts are the first pillar of, of the NAR. We would agree with the spiritual gifts are, are for today for the building up of the church. They're not, though, an end to themselves. The second pillar is fivefold ministry. This is the idea that not only are there gifts of the Spirit, but there are also offices of authority of which the gifted minister out of. This is based out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, the fivefold ministry understanding, the second pillar, is an unorthodox rendering of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 uh, would not have seen that we need to have apostles today or even offices of, 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 of these other uh, aforementioned offices here. In fact, this rendering that we must have a, apostles and prophets and evangelist offices within the church, just like you would have elders, this was a recent rendering from the 1960s and then was popularized uh, through the NAR in the 1990s. See, Peter Wagner coined this term, uh, coined the term NAR in 1996. So this five-fold understanding of Ephesians that you must have apostles and prophets and evangelists functioning within the church, uh, this actually came from a teacher named Edward Irving in 1824. And he wanted to start an apostolic Catholic church. And he desired to usher in the end times by restoring these long forgotten offices. But this is the only passage that you see that is ever brought up when people want to restore the offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. By the way, I want to say it's called fivefold. Uh, in, in Greek, it actually be four, right? Pastor, teacher are usually considered one thought in the Greek, okay? So it's should be correctly called fourfold if they really uh, want to go that route. But basic Bible study 101 tells us we should never base one passage and build a whole theology on it. It should be the totality of scriptures. And so what we see here is Ephesians 4, speaking of gifts, 
But what we're told, instead of installing an apostle or installing a, a prophet, we are told throughout Scripture, specifically 1 Timothy and Titus, in detail, uh, we see it in the book of Acts and we see it elsewhere, that we're to install elders, of which we have here at Kenosha City Church. Uh, we have five elders. I, I am a pastor. I'm also an elder. And here, the elders here at Kenosha City Church, we lead with a plurality of eldership, which means this, that we are co-equal. There's not like one super elder and there's a junior elder. Uh, we, we lead to, together. And, and we lead this church of which then there's pastors, which then I put my pastor hat on. Uh, we, have, we have ministries that are led by ministry leaders, some paid, some unpaid. But if you were to come across someone from the NAR, they'd say, where's your apostle? And we'd say, we don't have one. And they'd say, why? And I'd say, well, uh, the apostles, uh, we see the 12 of them. We saw the 12 apostles to the, to, to the Jewish people. Then we saw the 13th apostle, which was Apostle Paul. But after that, there were no others. They'd say, no, 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 no. According to Ephesians 4, uh, there needs to be apostles today. Why? It's being rediscovered. Why? Because you see the word until. That these things need to happen until we all reach the unity in faith and acknowledge the Son and the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature. However, when you see verse 12 of Ephesians 4, can we put that back up there? Let's put Ephesians 4 back up there. Actually, I don't think we have 13 up there. So Ephesians uh, uh, 12, we see, however, is the building up of the church is what needs to be connected to until. Grammatically, we see here, it's, it's not the offices or the giftings that we see up here that is, we need to have these until. It is the building up God's church needs to be functional so that we see the maturity of the church until we know the whole measure of the fullness of Christ when he comes back. One of the best rebuttals against uh, this fivefold understanding is actually from the Assembly of God. I know we have some historic AG people in the house this morning. However, the here's, here's what they said. This is the official, this was adopted by their General Assembly in 2011. I think it's great, I'm gonna quote it. It says this, however, the best designation of, for ministry is neither fivefold nor four, fourfold, but manifold. Ephesians 4.12 gives to all saints the work of ministry, while 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 provide aspects of ministry beyond the designations of Ephesians 4. I think that's well put. Is that the fivefold ministry of NAR, they give it to certain gifted people that then inhabit offices where the traditional understanding for the last 2,000 years in the church, including the early church who knew the apostles, would understand that these would be gifting that is for all the church gifting that one another, we have different gifts that will build up the church until Christ comes back. So let's take a look at the third pillar of the NAR, and that is actually specifically the office of, prof, uh, the office of apostle. So you have you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that's fivefold, right? Uh, I would rightly agree with the Assembly of God's uh, understanding of that. It's not five or fourfold, it's manifold. All of us are gifted in different ways. It's not about a, a, a person that's gifted in, in a particular way where they, they get to have an office. The only office that we see in Scripture are those of the elders, so, but let's talk about the apostle here. The NAR believes they have rediscovered the offices of apostle and prophets. These apostles lay a foundation and the prophets speak into, into and give guidance uh, of the apostles. Where we see biblically the church needing to be led by elders, the NAR sees the elders being guided and led by apostles and the voices of prophets. Now, apostle, it comes from the Greek word apostolos. Uh, it is a secular word. It's not a scriptural word. It is a secular word uh, that means messenger or diplomat. 
And so today, someone could be gifted as an apostle. They, now again, they won't have an office of apostle, but they can be gifted as an apostle. How? Uh, they are a messenger or a diplomat. What's this usually look like? A church planter. Uh, could be an evangelist. Could be someone who's even a denominational leader. Someone who has a sphere of influence. That's a general gift of apostle. A sphere of influence, but not an office of apostle. Not once are we told in Scripture to install apostles or prophets. We were given a great uh, number of verses, especially in 1 Timothy and Titus, that we are to install elders. At Kenosha City Church, we believe that the gifting is not for an office, but for everyone to build up the church. And at Kenosha City Church, we will lead uh, by Jesus Christ and be governed by the elders. There's one more place the office, there is one place the office of apostle has been normal, by the way. Let's talk about this. One exception. So in the church, the office of apostle uh, faded out after the death of the original apostles, okay? Now in the Catholic church, they would say uh, that they, there was apostolic secession through Peter, which now we have the Pope, all right? But there is one other group of people who said, no, 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 the apostles have continued since the days of the original apostles. You follow me here? Here it is. The one place the office of apostle has been normal and active since the 1800s, are the Mormons. These apostles have added to their scriptures on a regular basis. According to the Mormon doctrine, their apostles are a special witness to Jesus. According to C. Peter Wagner, there have been apostles since Peter. And we are in an era, C. Peter Wagner, again, is the one who coined and who has coined the NAR. He's the one that is advocating for apostles today. According to C. Peter Wagner, there's been apostles since Peter. And we are in an era where the apostles must rise up and that the current denominations and churches will die and the NAR will rise up. He states in his book, Apostles Today, the source of church growth for the NAR is rightfully people from other churches. NAR ideology has seeped into many churches and in the world, causing what Wagner has stated is a disruption so that new church structure can rise up in this new reformation. Thus, they are causing disunity in the name of their own unity. That, by the way, is not unity. We must have unity with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church does not need a reformation, but it needs a recognition that the gospel is our mission, period, not anything else. Churches are dividing up by, by things, that, by fringe doctrines today. I want to say, stop doing that. Let's get on the Bible, let's obey the Bible, and let's make the gospel our mission, period. Let's be empowered by the Holy Spirit to build up the church until his second coming, Amen. We don't need another gospel of reformation. We need revitalization as we rediscover the gospel of grace as our mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must worship God in spirit and truth. We must make the gospel our mission, period, until Jesus Christ comes back. Here's the problems of the office of apostle. You have to see the Lord be one. 1 Corinthians 9.1, Paul defending his apostolic authority says, am I not... Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Paul's saying, I'm an apostle. You guys are saying I'm not really an apostle because I'm a 13th to the apostle to the Gentiles, but I saw the Lord. The criteria for replacing Judas in Acts chapter one, verse 21. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, 
the Lord Jesus went in and out, uh, went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. They needed to witness the resurrected Jesus to be an apostle. Also, Paul thought he was the last of the apostles. This is what the early church thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 7, he says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Also in the book of Revelation, we see that there are 12 thrones for the 12 apostles of Israel. We don't, what we don't see is thousands of thrones of apostles since. This leads us up to what the NAR, the NAR believes about the end times. The New Apostolic Reformation believes in dominion theology. New Apostolic Reformation believes prophets and apostles will lay a foundation that will usher in the kingdom of the end times. But the problem with this idea is that our worship and obedience should be done because we love Jesus, not so that we hurry him up and so he can get back. We don't, we, we're told it's faith by grace, right? Uh, we're told to be obedient and, and, and be about the mission of Jesus Christ, right? Why? And we're supposed to do it until he comes back. Jesus said we won't know the day or the hour, right? But yet in this ideology, uh, we are working so that he can get back quicker. I never want to turn worship or prayer or our obedience into some kind of transaction. It's just because God's God and he's worthy of our praise, Amen. Dominion theology is the belief that Christians will take control of the entire world by the end times in one world revival. We will take control of politics, the entertainment industry, business and banking, family and, and uh, education. And at this point, according to Dominion theology, that's part of NAR, uh, is that the world will be fully Christianized. I, think, I hear that, I'm like, wow, that's really awesome. That's fine and all, but we just did a study of Revelation I don't see that. I see broken seals and, and I see judgments and I, I see bold judgments. I see 100 pound hailstones, right? I see Christians getting their heads cut off, right? We see it as an awful judgment to, to hit the earth. And we see a one world religion rise up. And when we look at Revelation, it's not Christian, it's called an Antichrist. One that even if possible, the elect could be fooled into following. The whole world system will revolve around the Antichrist. The, the, the whole world's worship will revolve around the Antichrist. That's what I see in Revelation. You know, I, I ran into somebody who subscribed to this. And I said, man, I'm just so excited to, to, just for Jesus to come back. Aren't you, think about this for a second. Aren't you excited for the arrival of Jesus? The second coming, does that just make you excited? And if it doesn't, just ponder it a little bit. Like, well, I have all these milestones at this vacation. Forget about all that stuff. That's junk compared to what you're going to experience in heaven. New heaven and new earth. And people are like, does that mean I get to like travel the, the universe? I don't see why not, right? It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I just opened up a whole door. Like, what? I, hey, it's, whatever we're going to experience in heaven, it's going to be so sweet, Okay. It's gonna blow our mind. We can't even talk about it because we, right? We just, we, we, it's so amazing. And yet I was talking to somebody, I'm like, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I wanna be faithful until Jesus comes back. I wanna be faithful with a mission. I wanna be found obedient when he comes back. Aren't you excited? And they're like, yeah. What do you mean, yeah? It's like, 
I'm more excited about this worldwide revival that's gonna break out on earth. That moment I'm more excited about than heaven. Are you kidding me? What? And they were serious. And I was like, you can have your stinking worship night, right? I want worship eternity, all right? Am I right? Like, worship nights are great, but they're no replacement for the king in heaven. Church services are great, but they're no replacement for the king in heaven, right? And listen, I believe that the kingdom is yet and not yet. We're to be the hands and feet, and we are to bring the kingdom in our life now, but it's only a portion. It's, it's a kingdom that, that's veiled. May we never, ever conflate the kingdom that we bring to our lives when Jesus Christ works through our lives. May we never conflate that with the kingdom of God that we're going to experience in eternity. That's idolatry. Earth is not our home, and heaven is our waiting. And right now on earth, we can have a taste of heaven, and it is wonderful. We should enjoy it. We should be exuberant in praise. We should enthrone God in our praises. But may we never, ever conflate what we do here, what we're going to do in heaven. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says this. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven as we eagerly await for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, it's our mission. It says, Jesus said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. There's our mission. How long are we supposed to do this? Here it is. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This age is going to end, hallelujah, right? This, this age is going to end where there is sickness and there is death and, and, and there's, there is, there's people starving around the world. There's people that don't know the gospel. This age will come to an end, but make no mistake, it's not about some crescendo towards the end that we are living for. No, if there's a crescendo, if there's revival, hallelujah, I pray for revival every day, but I want you to know this, the revival on earth will never look like the revival that's in heaven, Amen. All right, NAR, there's that, all right, so, and by the way, I just wanna say this about the NAR, uh, it's not, again, a denomination, it's a thought process and ideology. Again, I don't want you to be thinking like, oh, this NAR, like, we're not to become NAR uh, hunters, okay? Just know that when you hear this ideology, especially together, most likely ideology has infiltrated their thinking, again. Uh, are people saved that are part of this movement? Of course, it's just, there's something very different that when everything that you do is trying to usher the kingdom back, it's a work. I want you to know this right now. You, I love it when people dance in the Lord. I love it when people are contemplating in the Lord. I love it when people are worshiping the Lord. I love it when people are exuberant and, and, and praiseworthy before the Lord. But you know what's really sad is when we turn worship into some kind of, uh, of, of contract or some kind of, uh, of uh, some kind of payment system. We're like, okay, God, I did my worship aerobics today and that probably took off a couple more days so you can come back sooner, right? That, that is, listen, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know what I'm saying? There is freedom, which means this, is that we don't worship Jesus so, that, so we can prove ourselves to him or that we can try to bend his ear and pull his arms so and get back sooner. We worship Jesus because we are free and we're free indeed and he is God, Amen. I have more questions and not enough time. Should I? Uh... Okay, well, you know what? Bonus podcast, right? All right, so. 
Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this one. What area of the church has the biggest need? What area of the church has the biggest need? And then we're going we're gonna to close. We're going to just uh, pray and see what God does. Um, the biggest area of, of need in church is your hands and feet activated uh, in seeing this city one. Um, we are committed to giving the gospel every week and training people up in the gospel. There is different things we've mentioned even today about like spiritual gifts or gospel you're going to hear very soon uh, just even training opportunities to equip you for ministry. We're excited about that. But I would say the greatest need in our church right now is our kids' ministry. Okay? One of the questions I received here today, I just, I, 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 I want to answer these in lightning round. I just won't give it justice. Is should Christian use pronouns for gender? My, my answer is no on that. Okay? Why? Because, because, uh, God created a man in his own image. I'm answering this anyway. Okay? So he created a male and female, right? God is the one who, who designs this, okay? But here's the deal. The reason why I bring that up is because our kids today are being infiltrated with things in cartoons, right? I can't even watch Peppa Pig, okay? Like, I'm, I'm forced to watch Peppa Pig. That's even worse, all right? So, because I want to make sure, like, what are they teaching, right? How is that pig that? Okay, so it's like, anyway, but the, my point is this. Our kids are literally being indoctrinated, whether it be at school, whether it be on TV. And I'm, I'm sounding like a tinfoil hat man, except I, I don't have any tinfoil, which means it's real, all right? We as a church need to be committed to the next generation now. Now. It's not about what we get or what, what, the experience that we have at church. We are not about just consuming. We want to be contributors and we need to contribute in the next generation now. Right? Uh, we, need, we need to have that Deuteronomy chapter 6 where we, where we teach the next generation what we have. We are losing a generation before our very eyes. And, we, and, and listen, we, we have a growing ministry downstairs. We need more leaders. Right? Now, we don't come and beg, oh, will you please come? We believe God's going to actually call you guys to do that. But that's our biggest need right now. So anyway, I'm done with these. I only got through two questions today. I'm sorry about that. But guess what? It just means I did four? Oh, awesome. I, awesome. Okay, well, sweet. I still have enough contact for a bonus podcast. So I'll just do that, too. Thank you for, I'm, numbers are hard sometimes, you know? So anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just pray, all right? This is a unique way of landing. Again, if you're new, usually I do, I teach the text, or we teach the topic and, and go to the text, uh, but this is unique. We do this a couple times a year, and I feel a couple more podcasts coming on. So, uh, Father, we love you, and we thank you so much. Just as we pray, one thing I just want to just say to you guys, just open your hearts to God right now. A lot of times, we come to church, and we allow circumstances, or sometimes we're just tired, or sometimes we're living off the the excitement of the previous week of what God did, and it actually closes up our heart to what God's doing right now. And so uh, I just want to encourage you uh, to open your hearts uh, right now to what God is uh, doing, what he wants to impress upon your heart. And I think the biggest thing that we've talked about today, even though we talked about different questions, um, God wants you to be submissive to his lordship. He wants you to be submissive to him as the leader of your life. So spirit of the living God, I just pray that you would convict us in our hearts now, that you uh, would open up our hearts up to areas that we've closed off or we've become, we've become, we've been in a slumber or we're just complacent. And Father, I pray right now that you uh, would do a work in our hearts and reveal where we are not letting you lead. Just as we continue to pray, I wanna talk to anybody in this room right now that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you came here today uh, someone brought you or I just want to ask you this question if you were to stand before Jesus because he's coming back would you know for certain that you're going to heaven 
if you're uncertain of that, if you have any doubt in your mind, the Bible today describes how you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you are going to heaven and have a relationship with Jesus. This is what you do. You place your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, nothing else. See, God created you to have a relationship with him, but your sin, the wrong that you've done has separated you from almighty God. But Jesus Christ being so full of love and mercy went to the cross and he died. And he took on your punishment of sin upon himself. But three days later, because he was a perfect sinless sacrifice, he rose from the dead. That's why we celebrate Easter and we go crazy about that day. Is he rose from the dead, defeating death, defeating sin, and allowing you to receive forgiveness. How do you receive this forgiveness? Just right now, just with your mouth, whether it be out loud or just the, just the quietness of your heart, just say, Lord Jesus, I'll place my faith and trust in you alone. I believe in my, I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe in my heart you rose from the dead. I wanna follow you. Save me, Jesus, from my sins. I wanna follow you. With every head's bowed and eyes closed this morning, if that's you, if to, this morning you had some doubts or you knew that you weren't, a, you weren't a follower of Christ, but today you're like, I made right with Jesus. I place my faith and trust in him alone. Will you just look up at me? I just wanna be sure I can pray for you this week. Just look up, up at me right now. Awesome, I see you in the back there. Yes, any, any, anybody else? Just give me a look, just, just look up at me and uh, I'll be sure to pray for you this week. Awesome, anybody else? Great, great. Oh, I see you, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for those that are making right with you today. And thank you, God, that you forgive us. Even the things that we feel like we're unforgivable, that can't be forgiven. Help us today with the questions that we have in our life and help us trust you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.